Today we're going to be in First Peter. I think it's up there, right? Okay. First Peter. We're going to be there. We're going to be verses one through thirteen. Um, but a little bit of context before we before we read a little bit here. Peter's writing, he's writing to a mixture of, of Jewish and Gentile believers that are, they're, 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 meet, they're meeting in small, they don't have a, mess, they don't have a, a building like this, it's small groups that are meeting in different houses and places all across Asia Minor, and he's writing to them, he's writing this letter to them to encourage them, and he knows something about what's going on in their life, um, they're, they're having a hard time, they're suffering some pers persecution, some trials, and they're struggling with them. Some of them, as new believers, and in this mixture, it's expected there's, there's new believers, new to the faith also here that they're writing to. And, um, and they're dealing with some of the struggles is they've lost some of their friendships or relationships. And, and we get this from the letter, some of the things Peter writes, that there's, they're struggling with the, their non-Christian friends and family members that their relationships have been strained or they've been lost those relationships. That's part of the struggle. They're also struggling with persecution. Um, they're also living in a society that is very ignorant of the God they love and worship. They live in a society that's opposed to the very God that they worship and love. Nothing new under the sun, is there? It's no different today than it was then. You see how it can be very appropriate what we're going to be reading. That uh, when we follow Jesus, it affects relationships, it affects circumstances in our life. There's trials that come with it. I remember when I first became a Christian, you know, I thought it was everything was going to be teaching key, and I, 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 I attributed to it. I said, like, I thought I was going to get on the love boat, but it wasn't a love boat. It was a battleship. And there's a, there's a war going on. There's a struggle. There's a trial. The enemy of our soul wants to turn us from Christ. Then Christ has given us life. And so we that's what they're dealing with. And they're, they're, and they're struggling to live for God in that kind of society. And besides that, there is a real expectation that there is more persecution and suffering coming. And so Peter's writing to them. In, these, in, this, in this kind of atmosphere. And he wants to encourage them, strengthen them, persuade them of who God is, who they are, so they can stand firm in the faith and be a light to those around them. No different than it is today. And so, let's, let's read from here, from the first couple of verses. I'm going to read here. It says, Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, in Galatia, Cappadocia, in Asia, in Bithynia, in Thorndike, according to the knowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling of His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Did you notice I added someone there? <laughs> Just got to be personal. Peter's writing to these believers in their day. But it's just as appropriate for us. It applies to us. It's very relevant for us in our lives also. So as he's writing to them, think of it as he's writing to you and to us here. Right? So he's writing to, he's writing to them in, to those, uh, in, in these different uh, Small gatherings of believers in Asia Minor. 
but also here in Thorndike, and I'll say Granby, I'll say Belgian Town. There's others in Chickabee. There's other towns here. He's writing to all of us. And uh, in noticing he, he greets them. You know, most of the time when you read the, the scriptures, you see they, they write a letter. They say, to the church in Galatia, to the faithful believers in Ephesus. Or, or, and they, they, they use this or those terms. What does the term he use? Exile. Exile. You exile. What a unique way to start this letter here. As uh, is, is Peter writes this thing, he, he, he uh, identifies them as exile. And, he, and Peter, Peter, he's reminding them of something. Who they really are. They're struggling with living in this society. Not feeling at home again, at, anymore where they were at home at one time. Feeling there but this was their home, but now they don't feel at home here. And so he's writing them, he's letting, he's, he's reminding them of who they really are. They're strangers. They're foreigners in this world. What about you? You're strangers and foreigners here in this world, in this age. And he's reminding them of that. You know, they fought, fell out of place. They felt out of place in the same place they felt at home in before. But they're, now they're feeling as straight, like strangers. See, we have no permanent residence here. But that's sinking. The amount of time and effort we put into what we have here should make us realize maybe we should be putting more effort into heavenly things, right? And here he's saying, you don't have a permanent residence here. You're reminding them, reminding us, you don't have a permanent resident here, residence here. Your residence is, your citizenship is where? Heaven, right? In the heavenly kingdom, eternal kingdom, in Christ. It's not in this age. It's in the coming age where our home will be permanent and eternal. And he's, letting, he's reminding them of that as they struggle living in that culture. And that's part of why he's, he's starting to start at the very beginning. He knows there's their life situation, he knows the society, he knows the, 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 uh, the culture at the time, and he's trying to get them right from the very beginning. Realize who you are and who you're not. Realize where your citizenship lies and where it does not lie. That goes for us. It'll start to change how we view life circumstances. How we view the troubles, the sufferings, the trials. And like uh, Hebrews 13, 14 says, For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That's what he's trying to get them to recognize. You don't have a lasting city here. Our hope is not in this age. Our hope is in the next. In the eternal kingdom. And Peter adds, and that, and that, let's go back to chapter 1, verse 1 through 2. He also adds an action. He says, elect exiles. A description of what this exile, these exiles are like. Or who, 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 what he, how he sees them. They're elect. That's a term. Anybody ever heard that term before, elect? It's using the Old Testament of God's people. And Peter here, in this moment, uses this same the same word that was used for God's people, God's elect, the Old Testament, those that God chose. Now, the Israelites didn't choose God. God chose them, right? This is an important point to remember. He's, so he's saying, you're not of this age. This is not your permanent residence.
not choose God. God chose you. We need to let that own us. Say, we know this truth. We know this. We can say it, but it's got to own us. We've got to let God's word here in this moment of this truth that we are chosen by God. He came and found me. He came and found you where you were, right? And then he chose you for himself. That's what he's telling them. He's letting them know. This is a reminder. Actually, 2 Peter, Paul, Peter says it a couple times. I'm writing this to remind you. I'm writing this to remind you. He doesn't say it here, but he's doing this. He's, he's already, they, they know this, but they need to be reminded. Who else needs to be reminded? Us, right? We are elect exiles. And he's telling them, you're, he's writing them, you're elect exiles. It's not by chance, it's not by fate, it's not by your merit, it's not by your work, it's by his great mercy and grace. He came to you and me and chose us for himself. And he says, you're according, you're elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And we think, what, what does that mean, the foreknowledge? It means having, it's not like, oh, oh yeah, I kind of knew that, yeah. No, it means a focused intent to see something. It means having a knowledge of something. And in this case, it means, in this, the intent here is, uh, he had a relationship before they knew him. Ephesians talks about before time, before creation, he chose us. Yeah. It's not just now. It's all of a sudden, like when I got saved almost 40 years ago. Oh, I chose you, Kenny. No, before creation, before creation. And it's not just chose an individual. We always think individually here. He's writing to a, a community of believers. And when he talks about, he says exile. He doesn't say exile. Exile. You guys, as a group, you could the community. Before creation, he had a relationship with the New Earth Christian Church. It's like, wait a minute, how did he have, how, how could he do that? We weren't there yet. In him, we were. Right? He's eternal. And he's, and he's omniscient. He knows all things that are ever has been and ever will be. Nothing is a surprise to God. From the very beginning, before time was created, he knew all things. And he had a relationship with this community. I want you to think, this is not all of a sudden happened when Senior Bill Webb started this church. No, it was in God's heart before creation, that this people here would be chosen to be a people exiled to Thorndike. You've got to let this sit in. I mean, this has got, this has got to really reach the deep part of who you are, because it will shape and change how you see who you are, and how you see how this church is, and why God has put you here. That's what he's, Peter's trying to get them to recognize. It's not by chance that all of a sudden you became, oh, I'm going to choose you, God. No. God chose them, stirred their hearts, brought them together to be a people, to declare the excellencies, it says in chapter 2, of, of their God. Mm -hmm. 
That's what you are here for. You have been chosen for that before creation. And then how do you see each other? When you see that Dennis was chosen by God to be with you, Mark, in this community, you start to see each other differently. God put me together with certain people. They're different than me. They're not like me. And we don't, you know, we don't like the same thing. It doesn't matter. Do we start to see beyond those stuff to see the greater purpose of God and bringing us together to advance His kingdom in a certain community? God is good. He knows what He's doing. We're different members of that body and He's shaping us and elect people to be in a certain place at a certain time. And He did this before time. Close your mind. We serve a great king and a great God. Amen. Now I'm going to find my way back to my notes. <laughs> Whoa, I can't see. God, you are so good. His foreknowledge is amazing. exiles that Peter's writing to, they were God's, I think of it as like the military. They were, we were, there's, when you're, when you deploy overseas, and there, there's these outposts. You guys are a kingdom outpost here. Right? Serving together to advance the kingdom. <clears throat> See this, God is giving them an assignment here. You're on assignment from him. You're his, you're his outpost here in this village, town, city, whatever you want to call it, wherever we are. Now, it's not just you here when we come together on Sundays, but it's also when you're in your individual lives. When you're going out driving your truck, right? Rich, is a, whatever you're working, wherever the family members you are, you are an exile in those places to be used by God to extend the kingdom as a, as a member of his kingdom outpost. So they're in that outpost, but then they go out on excursions one or two at a time. Right? They're there, exiled in that place. Just like, you know, you go on a trip, you're, you're there as a military member. Man, you are longing for a home. You're in a culture you don't understand. A place you, like, I'd rather not be. Suffering and trials and struggles there. Longing for a home. But knowing you have a mission Amen. together yeah. and going on these excursions, maybe in one or two or three at a time, but coming together as a people, serving God together. That's what he's trying to get them to see, wants us to see. starts, you know, talking about them as being exiles and, 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 and he's writing to them, reminding them of that, but then he goes and he, and we see he breaks into this, this, this time of praise. He starts to praise God and proclaim who God is. Verse 3 through 5. 
Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. What kind of hope? Living. Wait a minute. What kind of hope? Living. Living. I know I can speak loud. I know, I, I know some of you can speak loud. Living hope, right? Living. Hope is dangerous. Living hope is even more dangerous. Lots of potential there. Living things reproduce after their same kind, right? They reproduce. This hope we have is not just a hope for us. It's a living hope. Meant to reproduce life, not just in us, but who? Others. We've been born again. We've been birthed in, in, into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So here we have, it says, Father, according to whose? Is it according to your good works? Is it according to fate? Is it some laws you followed? Is it some good works you did? Great mercy. Here Paul, Peter's reminding him who they were. Now as he goes into starts to bless God and praise God, he's also in the midst of it, making some declarations of who God is and what He has done. It's important for us to understand is that according to His great mercy, He sought us out. He's the initiator of this new birth in us. New birth of Thorndike. Hey. Was that it? <laughs> What's that called when you do that? Oh, never mind. <laughs> It's a, but it's his mercy, his great mercy. And Peter's reminding them of this, what he has done. He's the one that birthed this. It's the result of, of God. The result of this new birth is a, a hope that's living. It's a living hope. Why is it living? It's because it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This living hope is not based on our efforts like a... Oh, I cannot I'm try to muster up some hope. No. It's there. The hope we have is because he lives in us. Yes. The resurrected Jesus now has poured his spirit out in who? You and me. And us as a community. Together. It's a living hope. It has a life of its own. It's the kingdom life. It's not life we produce. We can never produce the hope that God gives us. God gives it to us. It's alive. Alive because the, the risen Savior is living and giving us hope because of that event. Him rising from the dead. In, in the, it's anchored in the person. See, the hope is not something. It's not anchored in some efforts. It's anchored in the person who will never change. Yesterday is today and forever. He's still the same. It's anchored in Him, a person. And the object of it is an inheritance, right? What's the inheritance? He doesn't tell us what the inheritance is. 
He just tells us what it's described like. Right? It says, he says it, it's what it's revealed in the last time when you're referring to Jesus returning. He doesn't talk about all what, what that will be like when Christ returns. In the Old Testament, there's lots of descriptions and metaphors that speak of it. But Peter doesn't speak about those details. He lets us know about a couple of things. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's indestructible as God is indestructible. Right? It'll never change. It won't fade away. It's not going to be destroyed. It won't ever be defiled. It can't, like, does anybody go out and do some, I'm going to say exercise, but yard work, I don't know, you do stuff and then, then you start to fade and you, you're tired and you're, see, it's a, it's, a, it's a waning. Peter's saying that will never happen. The glory of what we have in Christ will never wane. And will never ever get old. It'll never be destroyed. It'll never be defiled. It'll be pure forever. But both, Peter's saying, start to at least see that part of it. He's not giving descriptions of details of what it will be like, but what it will never happen to it. This is what this is what awaits us. And he says, You've been born into a living hope, and the, and the object of that hope is this inheritance. And part of it, I'll throw in, it's not said here, but it's relationship with God. The God that knew us and chose us beforehand for himself is going to bring us into full relationship, unhindered, undefiled, never to be destroyed, never to wane. That's the relationship we'll have. The greatest joy we'll have there is not all the stuff, but who? Him! Right? It's relationship. And, and he's saying here, you, you guys, he's writing them, they're reminding them of what, what awaits them based on Jesus' resurrection. What awaits us? Same thing. Peter's declaring really the true grace of God. In chapter, in chapter 5, verse 12, he talks about, he, he gives a reason why he writes the letter. He's not writing so you, you'd be strengthened, you'd be um, exhorting him, declaring the true grace of God so you can stand firm in it. This is what he's doing right now. Giving them this identity, elect exiles. It's an identity they would have understood. He's trying to get them to be strengthened in who they are. Now he's starting to talk about what God has done in Christ. What the hope is He's giving you. What He's going to do in the future. That means what He's done in the yesterday, today, and forever. He's doing it right now, right? Amen. We have it now. It's not something we're going to get later. We can start to taste it now. And Hebrews talks about we have tasted of the powers of the age to come. Has anybody here tasted of the powers of the age to come? <coughs> no one? Every one of you have. Who has the Holy Spirit? <coughs> All but two hands. <laughs> this awaits us in its fullness. But Jesus says the kingdom has already come, right? It's come in parts, not in its fullness yet, but we can start to taste it now. We can start to enjoy that relationship now through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's given us His Holy Spirit to have this living hope, but also have this living, dynamic relationship with Him and with each other. 
This is what He's given us. We can start to taste it now. We're meant to. Let's read next, let's read six through nine. He started into this praise in verse three through five. Is bless the Lord, and he, and he starts to describe the what God has done and given us in Christ. And then he goes, he goes, and in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So he talks about what God has done, and he goes in and says, in this you rejoice now. When you start to realize who you are, what God has done for us, it should birth in us a rejoicing. Just as we did earlier, we didn't need music, we didn't need sound system. We could sing, we could worship. We can rejoice in Him. That's what it's meant to do when we start to think about who we are and God choosing us and what He's done in Christ and what awaits us. It should encourage us. It should strengthen us and start to birth in us a rejoicing, a joy unspeakable and full of glory, right? That's supposed to be. That's supposed to be. That's what it births. Even if we have to suffer in trials. Anybody suffering trials? Anybody having struggles? Anybody having um, hardship? I see a few hands. I'd say all of us at some point, if we're not now, have or will be. It's a part of living for Christ. Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. Jesus talks about it. In this world, you will have trouble, but so I have overcome, right? Amen. Amen. But he's, Peter's saying, understanding these things will produce a joy, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of suffering, even, even in the midst of hardship. There's just a couple things that I want to make, I want to point out about trials. First of all, this one here, This is, years ago I, I understood it this way, now I, now I understand it differently. But when I first heard this, it's like, almost like God is testing us with these trials to see if we're going to weaken, we're going to fail in our faith. If we look at just that, we can think of that. But if we see it in the context we just looked at, He chose us. He's a good Father. He's found us, right? In His mercy, He birthed the hope in us. So now, we can't think that he's going to put us through trials and say, okay, let me see if they're weak. If they're going to fail. No. He's saying, you're going to go through these trials. And it's going to test you. Yes, it's going to test you. Not to see so you can fail or pass. Anybody ever fail a test? And I'm not talking at school. <laughs> I mean, with God. And then God just rejected us, right? Nope. 
No, because we know God chose us. God loved us. In His grace and mercy, He sought us out. So Peter's not talking about he's sending trials, or trials are going to come, and it's, and it's going to pr- prove whether God is going to keep you or not, or He's going to reject you. No. It's going to prove the genuineness of your faith. It's going to happen. So, and even, guess what? And I'll go out of my way. I'll say, even in when we supposedly fail, as the world will call failure, God will use it for His glory. And our good. So it's not, He's not here testing. The trials don't come to test us to see if we're going to fail so He can kick us out. That's not who He is. Peter's saying He chose us, He found us, He loves us. And the reality is, we all will make a mistake and we all will fail. But His mercy is greater than our failures. His mercy is greater than our failures feeling like we've messed up everything. And he's telling them it's not messing up things. In fact, the very trial Satan brings in our way that try to, to destroy our faith and destroy to weaken us are the very trials that will actually produce the life of Christ in us. First Corinthians, it, 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 he writes in chapter 2, he talks about, Paul says, he goes, if the, if the rulers of this age would have knew what would have, would have happened when they crucified Christ, they would have never done it. Because the very thing they tried to snuff out the life of God was the very thing that produced the life of God. So he's saying the trials are not to crush us. They'll let me feel like it sometimes. But they are to produce the life of Christ in us and through us. Even when we think we fail, and I know I've failed, and I've wrestled over those failures, but in the midst of those other times, what do we do? God, I'm sorry, we come, we draw closer to God into the reality of the relationship we have in Him. Right? Because we know He's a loving Father. He chose me. See, Peter's trying to get them to see this. I want you to see this. I want me to see this. I'm saying this, and I'm going to say I partially got this. We all partially have this. We all need to be reminded of these things. That's why Peter's writing them to remind them of these things so they can be strengthened, they can be persuaded of who they really are and who God really is and what God is wanting to do in them and through them in their day and in this day. So he's persuading us. I'm trying to persuade persuade you in, in this moment that God loves you and those trials are not to crush you. Nancy always tells me, no, for, God's, for our good and God's glory. And we always, she said, as that's her saying, we've actually did wood burning thing of all of My goodness. Huh? For my good and his glory. Oh, for my good. No, yeah, no he's doing it to me for your good. <laughs> <laughs> because he's going to shape me to be better. <laughs> so it's not only for our good, but for others' good too. <laughs> but for, for my good and his glory. And just realize that every trial is never outside his control. Never is it outside of his sight or his power. He's always there with us in the midst of it. Let's read verse 10 through 12. 
concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was in, indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ, the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, the things into which angels long to look. See, the prophets from long ago who wrote about, who spoke about the salvation that they were starting to enjoy. The salvation that we have come to enjoy. They wrote about it. And they were inquiring of God. He's saying, these prophets weren't like, is this going to be for us? They knew this was huge. They knew that this salvation was going to be amazing. And they were saying, is this for us? And God makes them, lets them know, it's not for you. It's for another time. And it says, they, they committed themselves to serving who? Them that Peter's writing to, but who else? Us. Right? Us too. And with that, he's calling the church. Do you realize the profound responsibility and privilege you have right now? You're God's chosen. He's picked you out. He's put you in that place, in that you know, town of Thorndike or village of Thorndike. He's chosen you. He loves you. He's through those trials. He's with you in the midst of them. He's saved you by His mercy and grace. He's watching over you and He's working in you. And then He says, then Peter's saying here, He's saying, do you realize the salvation you have? These, these people wrote about it years ago. Mm -hmm. And right now, you are living in that privilege. Amen. This is serious. This is a profound privilege of a moment in time between His first coming and His second coming. God, God has us living in this time frame. Chosen to be exiled here with this salvation to experience the kingdom has already come part in part and waiting for it to come yet in fullness. And we're here. We have a responsibility. We have a privilege to live in that life that He's given us. See so what Peter's reminding us. You know who you are? You're chosen. You're put here. Right? He saved you by His mercy. He's giving you this living hope. He's working in you. And realize, this time frame is a unique time frame the prophets of old spoke of. We're longing. In fact, the angels long to look at it. They, they can't even understand what God did there. They can't experience what we experience. It's something for us right now. I want you to. I want that to grip you. I, I, I say that. But I, 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 I hear what I'm saying. I want to be gripped by it even more than I say and understand it now. The reality of what I'm talking about, what Peter's writing here, is to wake the church up to live a life that's so different than we've ever lived before. And now that he's giving them that foundation. who they are, who God is, what He's done, what He's going to do, what He's doing. He's given these, these, these truths, these, these, these uh, nuggets of grace 
that he is declared to them so they can be strengthened. He starts now in verse 13. We're going to go there. Well, verse 13 through the rest of the chapter, now is a call to duty. Not like the, not the, not like the video game. No. <laughs> Some may have heard that. I just thought of it. It's, it, it's a call to action. From verse 13 to the end of the book, Peter then starts to speak about practical living in response to who they are, to who God is, what He has done in Christ, what He has done in the resurrection, what He's going to do in the future with them, and what He wants to do with them right now. So He sets this foundation for you and for me, for a, a people together here in this community. Now He's going to say, now I want to encourage you, read the rest of the book. We're just going to start, we're going to just go to verse 13. Well, I just want to say the rest of the day we go with the rest of the book. <laughs> no, I, but read the rest of the book and you will be challenged to live a life in response to who God is and who you are and what He's done, what He's doing, and what He's going to do. And that's Peter. He, he gives this foundation. He's reminding him. That, he didn't just remind him, say, okay, go your happy way. Because now you have a responsibility you have a pro profound privilege to live in and a profound responsibility now to respond to that when God has done. So verse 13 is the start of that. So let's read verse 13. Therefore, why is therefore? What he said before, he's saying now, in response to that, preparing your minds for action and being so minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's he saying here? He's saying exercise mental discipline and diligence. Think correctly, is what he's saying. And be ready. He's saying, prepare your minds for action. Does your mind do the actions? No. But he's saying, you better think correctly so you act correctly. So then you understand what I just spoken to you. Now, think correctly about those things. That will start to drive your actions. When we understand who He is, when we understand who we are, we start to think differently about life, we start to think differently about who we are, who others are, what we're called to do, and we start to act differently. So He's saying, think correctly, diligently, soberly, as He says, sober-minded. That would have been in their time. Sober-minded would have been... Don't be intoxicated with too much wine. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> Probably most of us have been intoxicated with, with uh, alcohol. And that's what he's referencing here. He says, what happens, what, what happens when, we're, when we're intoxicated and we're, we're not sober? We, we're, we're slow to think, right? Um, we make mistakes. We, we, we don't think correctly, right? Those are some of the things that, that they come with being intoxicated. Um, he's saying be, be vigilant, fully aware, disciplined, rational, and have sound judgment in every area of your life. That's what he's saying. He's saying don't let the intoxication stop you from thinking correctly. No, he's referencing intoxication with alcohol. What are some other things we can be intoxicated with? Drugs. Hmm? Drugs. Drugs. Friends. Hmm? Friends. Friends? Ourselves? Emotions. 
emotions, the world, the world, the phone, the internet, worries, fear, revenge, lots of things can intoxicate us. Hobbies. I don't want to mention it because it might get somebody upset. <laughs> stuff. We have lots of stuff. I want new. There's lots of things that the, the enemy attempt, he tempts us to be intoxicated. And we think, well, that, he's just talking about wine or, or drugs. or No, there's so many other things that can intoxicate us with a passion and drive us to those things that make us think incorrectly and not rationally. At least it happened to me. I, I'll, I'll admit it. We all have it. We can all go there. And he's saying, don't let that happen. Now that you know this, the very first response, therefore, is not all the actions he's going to talk about the rest of the book. The action here is Think correctly. Don't get consumed with things that are going to distract you from thinking correctly and rationally about who God is and who you are and what God's called you to be and do in this time. So he's, 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 he's stirring that up in there. When he says, and then in place of that, he says, not just don't do that, but then he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's referencing Christ's return. The revelation, the revealing of who Christ really is and all he is and all that his kingdom means. He's saying, set your hope fully on that imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance that awaits us. He set your hope fully on that. Why would he say that? Because he loves us. He loves us. Yes. He wants us to be intoxicated with that. See, he wants us to be persuaded with that. He wants us to be taken up with that to the, to the point that that shapes everything we think, how we think and what we think about things. And so, here's this, he says, set your hope fully on that. As I said earlier, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope changes us. Hope shapes us, keeps us going. Yes. Determines how we respond to circumstances. But you know that living hope is even more dangerous. Yes. Are you okay? Oh. <laughs> See, living hope shapes us live, if we start to live fully put our hope in what is to come, at Christ's return it will start to reshape us as people Peter understands that, Peter's trying to get them to understand that, he's starting off with talking about who they really are who God is in choosing them, what God has already done and what he's doing in them and he's talking about this future he's saying we set our hope on that See, we don't have a citizenship here. Our citizenship is in the future. In a future hope that we have in Christ. An eternal kingdom. Doesn't mean we, we are disregard this life. But what it will do, 
will change how we see right now. It'll change how I see myself. It'll change how I see others. Believers and non-believers. It'll change how I see trials and circumstances and sufferings that I have to deal with. Can we see it through God's eyes, through the hope of eternal life, eternal kingdom? He's calling us, set your living hope on the future of Christ revealing all things and the kingdom coming in its completeness. It'll shape us. It'll change us. It'll change how we respond to life and circumstances. And not only that, living hope, as I said earlier, anything living reproduces after his coming. Living hope that God has in us when we start to set it on this hope we have in Christ. It starts to reproduce life in others. It does. And that's what he's saying. Set our hope on him. So we must be sober-minded. We must be fully aware we are elect exiles. And by God's mercy, we've been chosen for such a great salvation. Chosen for such a time and place as here and now. And actively live our life with living hope fully set on the grace to be revealed at Christ's return. And God will reproduce His life in the living hope we have in others.